Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at it, Lord, open it to us. Lord, help us to hear what you are saying today. And Lord, help us to know you better. And Lord, apply your word to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please turn to uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 20. The book of Numbers, chapter 20. So if you've got a Bible, or feel free to look it up on your phone. Numbers, chapter 20. If you'll go ahead and mark that, then we're going to be starting there here shortly. Well, I think we've all heard the saying, don't judge a book by its cover, meaning we shouldn't judge something by its outward appearance. Well, something uh, similar could be said for this book of Numbers uh, that we read this past week. Because the title of this book, Numbers, isn't all that inspiring, is it? It doesn't really make you want to read it. And while we believe that the Word of God is inspired and without error, as uh, 2 Timothy says, uh, the Word of God is is God-breathed, the books of the Bible are not inspired, all right? And so what we find in the Greek and Latin versions, so going way back, is that this book is given the title Numbers because two senses take place in this book. Uh, one at the beginning, one toward the end. Uh, the reason for the census is because the, the people of Israel are about to engage in, in battle, so they are counting the fighting age men. Uh, but what we find in the Hebrew title for this book is not Numbers, but instead In the Wilderness. Doesn't that sound better? I mean, if, if we looked in our Bible and there was a title, Wilderness, I think much, we'd be much more wanting to read it. And really, that's a better description of what is taking place Uh, in this book because the people of Israel are in the wilderness for 40 years. Now what's interesting when we get to the New Testament is the Apostle Paul, he writes in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, he says that the stories that are contained in the Old Testament are there for our example and our warning, for our instruction. But given the context of 1 Corinthians 10 and, and the specific examples that he uses, he's actually talking about the book of numbers. And so again, going back to the title of this book, it has kind of kept me away from it over the years. Maybe uh, you've had the same experience. But there are some, some great stories in this book. And so we're going to look at one of them uh, this morning. And staying with what Paul says, as, as these stories are examples and warnings, instruction to us, uh, we're going to take a very practical uh, approach to this book, uh, apply it to, to our lives um, Jess was putting together the slides, and uh, she said when I gave her the you know, three points of the sermon, she kind of got depressed. So uh, my hope is you won't experience that, all right, as we, as we look at how these are to be examples for us. Now, since we're in basically the middle of this book, let me get us caught up to speed uh, with where we're at and what we've talked about the last couple weeks. So going back to the book of Exodus, we saw that the people of Israel were in bondage to slavery, Uh, with the Egyptians. They had been in bondage uh, to slavery for 400 years. And then the Lord hears their cry. Uh, He calls this man Moses to to lead his people out. And so Moses, he goes to Pharaoh and he he requests that they let the people go so that the Israelites can go out and worship uh, the Lord. But Pharaoh, he, he doesn't listen to what Moses says. And so the Lord sends 10 plagues plague after plague. And then after the 10th plague, finally Pharaoh says, enough, you can have the people. And so the Israelites, they head out. But Pharaoh, he quickly changes his mind. And as the people are heading to the promised land, the land of Canaan, uh, he sends his army. 
And so the Israelites were in this tough situation. They had the Red Sea on one side and the army on the other. But the Lord, he fights for his people. He protects them. He splits uh, the Red Sea in this very dramatic way, and the people cross over it. And then when the army gets toward the water, the water closes in. And so again, we see the Lord providing and protecting for his people. And then the people, they journey uh, to Mount Sinai, this mountain range. And they go to Mount Sinai, and they spend about a year there. So last week, we were in the book of Leviticus. Uh, the book of Leviticus is where God is giving the law to Moses to then share with the people. Uh, this nation is being created. And so that setting for the book of Leviticus is really that year-long period that they are out at Mount Sinai. Now, after this year-long period, the Lord says, okay, you are now to go to the promised land. And then we get to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, which I think are some of the most disappointing uh, this, this episode in the entire Bible. And so just kind of a brief recap of what takes place here is that Moses sends in 12 spies, and they basically do this reconnaissance mission of the land, and, and the spies come back, and all 12 of them say that the land flows with milk and honey, meaning it's a rich land that will provide for them. But 10 of the 12 spies, they say though the land is, is rich, it flows with milk and honey, they say the, the people are great and mighty. They say that the cities are fortified and actually that there are giants in the land. And they say, we cannot defeat this people. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they say, no, we can with the Lord's help. He will provide for us. But the people of Israel, they listened to the 10 spies. And it says this when, when they gave their report of the people of Israel, that the people's heart melted within them. Fear and discouragement took over. And again, we have to remember all that this people had seen the Lord do for them. The ten plagues, uh, the Red Sea being split. The Lord had provided manna, this food that, that came down where they didn't have to, to work for their food. So over and over again, the Lord provides for them. He protects them. He fights for them. But yet when they were on the edge of the promised land, about to cross over, they shrunk back in fear. And they would not go in. And so they complained to Moses and they said, why did you bring us out so that we would die? And why would you bring our, our children, our little ones out so they would be killed by the hands of the Canaanites? And this makes the Lord very angry because they put their fear over their faith in him. And he says, okay, if you're 20 years of age and older, you will not enter the land but those that are 19 and younger, the, these little ones that you are so worried about dying by the hands of the Canaanites, they will be the one to enter the land. And so what we see from chapters of Numbers 14 to 20 is a 40-year period of wandering in the wilderness. And it's sad because there is so little in these chapters. 40 years, and there's only about six chapters of what happened. And it's pretty much all negative. But as we get to chapter 20 of this book, this 40-year period is now completed. Most of the, the first generation has now died, and this second generation rises up. And so the first thing I want us to see as an example from these people is that our attitude and actions influence others, okay? Our attitude and actions influence others. If you look at verse 1, 
It says, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? And verse 5 says, why did you bring us to this terrible place? There is no water to drink. So the 40 years is completed. The first generation has now died, but when faced with difficulty and struggle, uh, the second generation, how do they respond? Just like the first generation. The first generation, they had really made a complaining and grumbling basically into an art form. When you read Exodus to Numbers, it is just one complaint after another. And after all these years, I think Moses is kind of having this feeling of deja vu, that he's been here before. Because basically he has. When you go back to Exodus 17, there's a very similar story where the, the people complain because they have no water. And now this second generation that has come up and, and seen all that the Lord has done for them, they are complaining. And so we ask why. And one of the reasons is because they've seen it from their parents and grandparents. And as you know, tonight is the Super Bowl. And uh, I didn't want to bring that up, you know, with the Chiefs not being there. It's kind of a sore subject. But, you know, one of the things with the Super Bowl, I think most of us tonight are going to be watching, what, the commercials. I do have to say the commercials the last few years, they've been kind of weak, I think. So I'm hoping for some, some better ones tonight. But it got me thinking about my favorite commercials. And I have to say right now, it's the progressive insurance commercials where it says, don't turn into your parents, right? You seen those? Those are great because they're so true. And I see this in my own life where I, I say things to my kids. I say jokes, these dad jokes. It's sad. But I think, where did I hear this before? I'm like, oh, my dad said that. And I'm, I'm turning into him. One of the things my dad used to do as well, he would get home and we'd have all the lights on in the house and he would turn them all off and kind of grumble, why are all the lights on, you know? <laughs> I've noticed myself, I get home from work, that the house is, is lit up and I just roam my house all night just turning off lights, uh, turning into my father. Next up, this thermostat. I'm going to be checking that thing, making sure it's not above 70. <laughs> But on a more serious note, we need to understand the influence that our attitude and actions have with those in our circle of influence. So most of us, it's our family, with our kids, maybe our grandkids. And we need to realize our attitude, our actions, that they are watching us. I mean, one of the hardest things of being a parent that I've come to kind of realize is the way that my kids react to things is because they've seen it from me, my, my attitude, my, my actions. And both good and bad. It was about a week ago, I was kind of thinking through uh, this, and uh, one of my kids was kind of, you know, we're getting into it a little bit. And the way that they responded made me mad. But then I realized that's how I respond. <laughs> you know, and again, they had seen it from me. And so the second generation, they had seen that first generation for 40 years grumble, complain, and now they are doing the same. Secondly, in this story, uh, we need to see that, uh, help us recognize our tendencies when dealing with stress. Let me say that again. Recognize our tendencies when dealing with stress. 
Look at verse 6, and we'll read to verse 12. Moses and Aaron, they, they went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring out water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So what we initially see from Moses with the people as they again complain and, and criticize and attack him is that he responds so often as he did, where he interceded for the people, where he, he prayed for them. But while things started off good, they, they quickly go sideways. And when he gathers the people together, he, he acts out in anger. And he says to them, listen, you rebels. And my guess is that when Moses said that, it felt good. For 40 years, he'd been hearing this complaining, this criticizing. In our passage, it keeps saying, you brought us out. Why did you do this? Again, constant criticism, very personal and direct. And so Moses, he is really mad, and he explodes in anger. And we'll come back to this in a minute, but because of the way that he responds, because of his disobedience, he will not enter the promised land. But what caused Moses to respond in such a negative way like this? I mean, this has happened before. I think it's the tremendous amount of stress that he was under. I mean, when we read these stories, we need to kind of put them in our context a little bit. Don't, don't read the Word of God in kind of this wooden way. Moses is just like us. He'd been leading these people faithfully for 40 years. They've criticized him, his leadership. He's had different ones over time want to take over the leadership of the people. This 40-year period is now up that the Lord had said, and so this next generation is to go into the land. What's interesting is this takes place in this location of Kadesh. In Numbers 13 and 14, they're in Kadesh, where the people rebel. They don't believe and trust in the Lord, and so they didn't get to enter the land. And so they're in the exact same spot. The people complain and rebel. And I think Moses is worried that the second generation won't get in. It's stressing them out. But I also think Moses is still carrying the disappointment of this last 40 years of not being in the land. They were so close. But we also need to think of the, of the death that Moses saw. Over this 40-year period, scholars estimate that there were 1.2 million people that died. It was probably almost daily, at least weekly, where people were dying. And Moses had to see that over and over and over again. And on top of that, when you look at verse 1, it says that his sister, his older sister, Miriam, had just died. So all these people, and now his sister, just a, another reminder of the people's disobedience. Now, Miriam, she was a, a leader with this people. She was a prophetess. 
But also we see her for the first time all the way back in Exodus 2. When Moses was just a little baby, he was three months old. Uh, his parents, they, they did as much as they could. Uh, but when he got to three months old, they couldn't basically keep him quiet anymore. Pharaoh had ordered that all the baby boys uh, be killed. And so Moses' mother, she places him in this basket and she puts him out on the Nile River. And as the story goes on, uh, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in the reeds and she takes him. But as this whole uh, story was unfolding, his sister Miriam was watching. And when she saw Pharaoh's daughter take Moses, she went in great boldness and courage to Pharaoh's daughter and said, would you like one of the Hebrew women to nurse this child? And Pharaoh's daughter responds with yes. And so Miriam goes and gets their mother, and she is able to take care of Moses. Just this wonderful uh, story of God's providence, but also the courage of Moses' sister. And so on top of all the pressure of leading this people, of all the criticism, now his sister has died, his core group, if you will. And I think because of all these things, Moses responds in extreme frustration and anger. But you know, this is not the first time uh, that we see Moses respond uh, in this way of getting so angry. We actually see this uh, throughout his lifetime. If you go back to Exodus, uh, he sees this Egyptian beating uh, an Israelite, and he acts out in anger and actually kills the Egyptian and buries him. That's why he had to flee into the desert himself. When Moses confronts Pharaoh, and Pharaoh would not let the people go, Moses gets extremely angry, and it says that, that Moses left the presence of Pharaoh burning with anger. When Moses came down Mount Sinai with the, the Ten Commandments, the, the, the two tablets, and he sees the people worshiping the golden calf, what's he do? He responds again in anger, and he, he throws the tablets down, and he, he smashes them. And so we see with Moses, his tendency in stress and pressure is to act out in anger. And I'm sure in some of those episodes that his anger was the right response. But my guess is because he's just like us at times, even though it was the right response, sin was mixed in. But also at times he was outright wrong. And so again, we see this anger issue that Moses dealt with his entire life. This is his tendency, how he responded. And so what we need to pay attention to, especially in seasons of life where things are stressful, where we are under pressure, where we are grieving, is to recognize our tendency and how we respond in times like these. So Moses, again, his was anger, and yours may be anger. For some of us, it may be drinking too much alcohol or eating. It may be going to Netflix or whatever streaming service, just, just watching movie after movie, trying to escape. I think for some of us, it's pouring ourselves into our, our career where we have all this outside pressure with our, our family, and we're going to pour ourselves into our job so that we can escape. But the problem is if we do not recognize our tendencies and how we address things when the pressure is there, if we don't recognize it and deal with how we cope with these things, things are going to come to a head just like they did with Moses and things will implode. And so we need to do the hard work of doing some self-reflection of, of how we respond in difficult times. Going back to the first point, our attitude and actions, it may be that we need to look at how our, maybe our dad or our mom or our grandparents responded to things. 
In my own life, I can see how my dad over the years responded and how I do that. I can see how my grandfather would kind of get very angry quick, and I can battle that. So again, we need to do the hard work of, of looking at how do we respond to these things? How did maybe our family respond to these things so we can avoid that? Because we don't want to get to that th- point where things just build up and build up and build up, and then boom, it just explodes. But then thirdly, as we look to these people as an example, we need to realize that our sin has consequences. Look back at verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So again, if we do not recognize our tendencies in dealing with with stressful situations, things may come to a head, things may implode. And while God will forgive you and we thank him for that, we still may have to face the earthly consequences of our sinful actions. And it may be damaged relationships. It may be resentment from family because you poured yourself into your your job and you were never around. And so as Paul says, let these stories be a warning to us. Let them warn us. Let, Let us learn from them, be instructed from them before we reach that point. Let me ask you, do you think the the punishment that Moses was dealt seemed too harsh? I can remember the first time I read the story about how Moses doesn't get get to enter the promised land because of this one sinful episode. It just seemed harsh. I almost wondered, is it fair? I mean, Moses had served these people for 40 years. He'd been obedient to everything that the Lord had commanded him. And he messes up in this one way, and now he doesn't get to enter the land. But we need to realize the seriousness of Moses' sin. First of all, Moses is the leader of this people. And it says in the New Testament letter of James that leaders are held to a higher standard, and they just are. But also we need to see that Moses was not obedient to what God had commanded him to do. God told him to speak to the rock, but who does he speak to? The people. He says, you rebels. He was to speak to the rock and then the water would come out, but instead he strikes the rock twice. But also when Moses speaks to the people, who does he say will bring forth the water? He doesn't say God's going to do it. He says we meaning him and Aaron, that Moses and Aaron will be the ones that bring the water out of the rock. Because of Moses' action, the Lord says that Moses did not trust him and did not honor him as holy in the sight of the people. It's a very grievous sin. But there's also something more going on here. Because as we discussed earlier, This episode in Numbers 20 is very similar to what takes place in Exodus 17 where the people had no water and they complained and grumbled and rebelled against the Lord. One of the things that uh, we see throughout uh, the Old Testament is that God is referred to as the rock of his people. And so when we think back to this Exodus 17 story, as the people complained in sin, Moses is told by God that God will stand before the rock which is this picture that God is identifying himself as the rock. And then God tells Moses to strike the rock. 
We're given even more insight in the story in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, and you don't need to turn there. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says of the Israelites. He says that the Israelites drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and the rock was Christ. And so in the Exodus 17 story, when Moses struck the rock, he was striking Christ. Christ was taking the judgment for those people. They're complaining. They're grumbling. God stood there. Christ stood there and took that judgment that they deserved. And this is a picture of what? The cross, where, where Christ goes to the cross, and he is struck for our sin, for our disobedience. But this picture where, where Christ is struck, he was only to, to die on the cross, what, one time, to be struck one time. But what does Moses do? Christ was struck in Exodus 17, but when we get to Numbers 20, he is struck twice, the second time, the third time. So again, when we, we think of the cross and, and what this was, was pointing to, we see how grievous Moses' sin was, how rebellious it was, because he was, in effect, striking the Lord Jesus. But before we end, we can't just, just end on this negative and sad note. I mean, this is a sad story. I mean, where's the grace in this story? And what we find from God is that even in the midst of the people's rebellion and complaining, he brings forth the water. It says in verse 11 that the water gushed out. I like how some translations say it. It says the water flowed out abundantly. Now, when I've read this story before, I don't maybe you're the same, is I think the water coming out, I picture this kind of nice little trickle. The people are getting the water for themselves and for their animals, very kind of calm scene. I'm not sure that is accurate, because in the book of Numbers, uh, we find in that census that a little over 600,000 men are, are ready for combat, ready for war. So most of them would have been married, so now we're up to about 1.2. Uh, they would have had children. Uh, you factor in the grandparents, and you're looking at 2.5 to 3 million people uh, for the Israelites. And so when the water gushed out, many give the estimate that 5,000 gallons a minute had to come out to take care of this people. And that's just to break even. And so we, we get this picture of the abundant grace of God that not this little trickle of water, but all this water busting forth for them. We also see that though Moses doesn't get to enter the land, that, that the Lord raises up Joshua. Joshua had been Moses' assistant for many years, and now Joshua will be the one uh, to lead them, very capable leader. So we see God's grace here. And we also see as we continue to read through the Bible, as we get to the book of Joshua, that the Lord does not give up on his people, that he stays faithful, that the second generation will go in to the promised land as he protects them and fights for them. But what about Moses? Well, in the New Testament Gospels, we read this pretty amazing story. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus, he goes up on this mountain and he takes with him three of his 12 disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they go up this mountain, and it's called the Mount of Transfiguration because as Jesus is there, it's as if the veil is pulled back, and they get to see him in his glory. It says that Jesus' face shone like the sun, and that his clothes were as, as bright as light. 
But in this story, not only is there Peter, James, and John, it says that there are two other men, Elijah and Moses. And the place where the Mount of Transfiguration takes place is in the promised land. And so Moses, after all these years, is now in the promised land. And I don't know how it all works. I don't know what kind of body Moses had. I'm assuming some type of glorified body that we'll each have one day. But Moses is now there. After all these years, he is in the land. You know, when it comes to Moses, uh, many identify him as the law because he re received the law. He, he gave it to the people. So he represents the law. And what the law could not do for Moses because he sinned and disobeyed, grace could do. Because what did Jesus say? After all these years, Moses, you weren't allowed in. The law said you could not enter, but grace says, come on in. And he got to be with Jesus in the promised land. And as we conclude, as Paul says, these stories are there for our example. And we can learn from these stories and we need to learn from them. But it also points that we, we need more than an example. That we need a savior. That we need the rock. We need Jesus Christ because we can't be obedient to the law. We will break it just like Moses. We need the one who will provide us with abundant grace. Would you bow your head? The Lord is speaking to you this morning and stirring in your heart to accept him as your Lord and Savior. I would encourage you to come up front. I would love to speak with you. Jack would as well. It could be that the Lord is moving in your heart as we think about our, our attitudes and our actions. And we want to come to the altar and just confess that before the Lord and get alone with him. So however we can help, we will be up front. And Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these stories. Lord, we thank you for the instruction that they provide. Lord, for the warning that they provide. But Lord, we also see your grace. We also see your, your faithfulness to these people. And Lord, just like them, we can complain and grumble and, and, and wander from you. We can spend time in the wilderness, but Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. You seek us and bring us back. And we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was struck for us, who took our judgment once and for all, never to be done again. We thank you for that. We ask in your name, Jesus.